Welcome to the Artist Work Ethic Podcast. I'm Mike Pilak. I'm a screenwriter and filmmaker who's always looking to maximize my time and potential as I work to break in. In this podcast, I talk to artists of all kinds who have seen success in their fields about their process, habits, and work ethic. Today on the show is Jason LaRocca. Jason is a musician, engineer, and scoring mixer. For years, he played in the punk band The Briggs, releasing albums on Sidewind Dummy Records and touring with Bad Religion, The Dropkick Murphys, and Anti-Flag. Since then, he's found himself producing and mixing scores for film and TV. He's mixed the scores for Aquaman, Bad Boys for Life, Black Mirror, the upcoming Marvel film Morbius, and a ton more. All right, Jason, thank you for coming on with me today. Thank you, Mike. Good to see you. Good to hear from you. All right. So you went from uh, touring and playing music with the Briggs to mixing film scores for some of the biggest movies and TV shows out there. How did you make that transition from musician to what you're doing now? Well, it's funny because when the Briggs were starting, I had sort of weaseled my way into working at a studio and it was a private studio for a film composer. And, you know, at the time I really knew nothing about film music at all because I was just like, you know, I was just a rock kid who played guitar and, and I, but I wanted to like find a studio job. So a buddy of mine was, was working for this film composer and he was leaving his job at the studio and he knew me because we played shows together around LA He's like, well, why don't you come in and meet, be the guy, see if it's a good fit or whatever. So I ended up getting an internship for a film composer. And that was kind of happening at the same time as when the Briggs were just starting. Like we were just in our infant sort of getting demos together. We haven't even, hadn't even put out our first record yet. And I was interning at the studio. And that, that was sort of like where I started my sort of two paths. And so I worked during the day. Um, and then at night we would rehearse at, at, at our house in my bedroom. And then what eventually happened was in 2003, I think it was, we signed to side one dummy and put out our first EP with them and then started touring. And I, I actually managed to kind of keep my studio job and tour with the Briggs at first. We went to Boston to make that first EP with, with Joe Gittleman and, you know, slept on his living room floor and stuff. I remember that week was like really stressful because I had somebody at the studio where I worked sort of filling in for me. He didn't really know what he was doing and like had these issues and like they were calling me. We were on the way to the studio to record and I was like, all right, you just got to make sure that you're hooking up this time code to that time code and like all these things. And I just, for as long as I could, tried to sort of hold the two positions, being one in the punk band and and one working uh, as a studio assistant. Eventually, it got to be too much because the band started touring a lot, which is where you and I eventually met. But what happened was I I still kind of kept my foot in the door with the studio and and i i worked there as long as i could i actually managed it pretty well between scheduling my tours and having somebody in the studio in place of me while i was gone and then working in the studio when i was off tour i think in 2004 so i had worked at the studio starting in 1998 and then in 2004 i left that position as a studio assistant and went on tour full-time with the briggs 
And then the Briggs thing was like, you know, we were touring nine months out of the year, you know, doing what everybody else was doing, who was, you know, doing the punk rock label thing of just like, the only way you survive is if you play a show and, and stay on the road and you make your couple hundred bucks a night. And, and if you do it enough, everyone can kind of pay rent <laughs> and, you know, we don't really have vehicles really. It's like, we basically, we had skateboards and bicycles or whatever. And so like, it wasn't like we had to even support that much. If we did 30 days worth of shows, we could pay for the next 30 days off at home. But that got really kind of, for me, I guess I just sort of saw the trajectory of it going, God, where's, where's this going? I've always had this kind of dream to not really take over the world, but just take on as much as I could. And, and, and with the Briggs, I think we were, it was a weird time where, you know, CDs were like completely going away and it was all becoming digital. You know, the gas prices were nuts. Like the gas prices were like $70 a gallon in 2008. You know what I mean? It was like insane. There was, I guess, a, a stress to it that was kind of starting to just kind of weigh on me a bit. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll just go back and work on the producing and mixing and see if I can still get myself back in, into those doors. And, and I had doors were still open for me. I had some people that I knew, mainly the composer who I was working for when I had my studio job. His name was Mark Isham. He gave me a couple of gigs as just like a freelance engineer, just a couple small things. And I, that was like in 2009, you know, so I did a couple things when I was home and that was when I was feeling like I didn't want to do the band anymore because it wasn't, I just didn't want to be on the road all the time. I loved it. I mean, it was such a fun lifestyle, but I just needed something else. I needed to know that that, I just didn't think I was going to be able to survive till the age of 80 to be touring nine and a half months out of the year all the and the way i play i mean you remember i was very extreme on stage a lot of the time i jumped all over the place i broke my knee twice on stage you know i i, I was pretty insane and i'm like I, I don't know if i'm gonna be able to do this when i'm 60 and 65 and 70 and 80 you know like what what <laughs> i want to do this i want to do something for the rest of my life yeah yeah and not have to fully shift my whole worlds at some point because i can't do what I want to do anymore. So I love it. And I've, and I actually miss touring a lot, but this was like, it was sort of the logical shift for me and it didn't work out smoothly, but it, it worked out, you know, and I eventually got to where I was, had a lot of clients and, and was getting a lot of cooler gigs. And eventually where I am now is I have, you know, I, I rent two studios in a commercial facility and I have, you know, a basic staff and, and people who, who work for me. And, and I've built up a, a, a cool world in, in, the, in the film, music, production, and, and mixing world. That took a while, but I think it just happened a little bit out of necessity. It was just like, I kind of felt like it, it needed to be something more that I felt like I could do for a longer period of time in my life. I just didn't want to be that guy who ends up in a wheelchair. I didn't want to live my own version of Spinal Tap, so I, I kicked it before it became a sorry situation, I guess. I <laughs> what, what lessons were you able to take from the Briggs and apply to what you're doing now? Um, well, I mean, we were pretty self-sufficient. I mean, obviously, we had the label to help us, and Joseph got us a lot of really cool tours and and put our our name in the hat for 
<clears throat> what eventually led to touring with Anti-Flag and Bad Religion and a lot of cool bands. But we were doing a lot of everything ourselves, you know, and we were even booking really for the most part ourselves until we eventually did get a booker to help us just because there was so much shit to do. But we did a lot of things ourselves. And that was kind of what made us who we were in the beginning. I had a home studio. We, uh, we had a home studio. I mean, basically my brother's room and my room because Joey was in the band with me and we really kind of had like our whole musical career as our teen, teenagers and in, in our 20s was was in bands together. And his bedroom was next to mine. We punched a giant hole through it, put a bunch of cables through it, and we recorded all of our early stuff that eventually got us in with sort of side one and stuff like that. So we always started out doing it ourselves and not relying on well let's see if somebody comes by let's see if an anr suit comes and discovers us you know like i just thought well yeah sure that could happen but like first of all we're not incredibly talented we have a lot of raw passion and that definitely was apparent right away but i didn't think that that was a smart business decision so we kind of took it upon ourselves to kind of record our own stuff and those things that I picked up from that rolled into, well, now here we are recording with a producer and an engineer. We're in Boston with Paul Coldry recording in his studio. And with those things that I learned doing our demos, I thought, well, if I'm smart, I'll just watch what Paul Coldry is doing. I'll watch what these guys are doing and ask them questions and ask them what they're doing and why they're doing it. Because I thought, when is the next time I'm going to be here with these guys you know i don't know so i always took those opportunities and kind of was like very inquisitive and and asked a lot of questions so and i would pick these things up quickly you know i would think well whatever i got from paul coldry i was like well we're playing 10 shows after this when we're done with our ep so i would oftentimes just like adjust the microphone on my amp and do things that like if i if i saw that they weren't doing a good job as engineers i would kind of sneakily adjust things and move things around the best I could. I was always just kind of like, like that. And those kinds of things just worked out in various ways to where it got me into doors as a very DIY guy. I think certain people just saw the enthusiasm in what I was doing and, and the enthusiasm and energy was what usually got me into some door at first it wasn't necessarily that i showed people my my papers and you know and i went to full sale and it's like i didn't go to school i didn't have all that so i really had to be pretty i had to have some natural you know ingenuity that people could observe you know empirically because i had nothing else i didn't have papers or somebody uh, a rich uncle or something who could like get me in a door. So I just, I just had to figure it out. And that's what I did. I know a lot of people do that, but I, I knew that it could be done. <laughs> yeah. There was, if there was enough kind of enthusiasm and energy and, 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 and like applying it, like we were just like, let's go on tour. We took every freaking tour. We took every freaking tour because I knew that just doing it, staying on the road, staying in the motion would lead to something. I think that was the biggest thing for me was like always staying in emotion, never really settling down with like, Oh gosh, we have no tour. We have no nothing. Cause that, that is when things start to get fucked up. It's like when yeah. you stop something, the getting the motion again is really hard. I think that that's been a theme throughout this podcast is just say yes to things. 
say yes to everything. Like literally, that's what opens all the doors. Completely everything. And and when you're young, you the yes is is such a great power, honestly, because because you don't money doesn't matter. Nothing really matters other than the fun process of doing it and what's this adventure going to be and it always turns into something awesome it's never a bad thing to just go out and roadie for a band all these stories of guys who are like managing massive bands and making records with big bands are all started with like being like roadies or something very simple of just like how could i just help and be a part of this in some way. And then you become invaluable and you become so smart just because you've, you've got the knowledge of like, of what do you do when, when you're fucked and you have no, you have to just improvise. And when you get really good at improvising those kinds of things, you're smarter than the guy to some degree who has his scholastic certificates because he hasn't set foot on a stage or in a van or on a bus and doesn't know the protocols that are not written down in these, these books, you know? So that's what I had. I had, I had the knowledge of the road. I had the knowledge of just like having done it starting from an early age, being around a lot of people and, and learning those sort of politics of, of how to treat people nicely, regardless of who they are, where they come from or what you think they are. It's like you treat people good because you don't know that person could be doing sound for you that night. That person could be <laughs> making your meals or whatever. Who knows, right? And and I have learned those things the hard way of not doing that, right? Of like thinking, well, I'm a guitar player in a band and I'm on tour, so therefore I'm cool. You are not. Uh, you are like everybody else. And if you do something stupid, like treat people like they're less than you, you'll find yourself needing something from them and not being treated well justly because you were a dick to them. You mentioned that you just listened to the the episode with Benny from Gaslight. And that yeah. was something that we talked about was just being a good collaborator stems from just being a good person. It's just kind of the, the right way to be. Well, Benny, Benny is a super sweet guy. And we only met briefly, but we, at one point, the Briggs and the Gaslight Anthem were on side one dummy at the same time we had an album come out and they had an album come out right after ours and we were both on warp tour that album of course was the 59 sound their album exploded and they became like the biggest fan in the scene but before that all happened we were like uh showing up to warp tour at the same time every day in our bands and they were really nice guys you know, they were really, really sweet guys. And, you know, they became really successful. And I thought to myself, they, they deserve that. They're cool guys. So if, if there is somebody who's going to get a great level of success, I'd like it to be somebody like that and not somebody who, you know, when they weren't even a band that anybody knew were treating you like crap. Because there are tons of bands that we would meet, that we would tour with that were our idols. And we would meet certain people and they wouldn't be very nice. And, you know, it was deflating to sort of see that. And so Benny was great. And, and that's a good example for me, at least of like, regardless of the situation, your status or anything, you are a human being. You started out in the same place and you treat others well. And Benny was totally that type of guy. You know, he was, he was really cool. 
How do you continue to stay as productive as possible today? I'm definitely going through some changes in terms of how I approach work because I'm starting to realize that your body doesn't your body doesn't have the same energy and stamina as it did when you were young. And as you get older, there are certain things that you have to just start listening to. Like I'm terrible at exercise. I'm terrible at doing much else other than my work. Now I'm starting to interject that more mainly because I have to, you know, I started to hurt my back because I was just working too much, sitting too much and that sort of thing. I still am pretty work obsessed. I still like to do as many hours a day as I can, either calling or actually producing and, and mixing things. But I'm trying to balance that more now. I'm trying to, uh, certainly if I don't have to, I don't want to physically kill myself. Exercise and uh, eating right and that sort of thing are are definitely a part of, of actually being able to continue having the sort of stamina that you want to have and that you don't have in the roadblocks, which for me right now or myself, I'm my own roadblocks right now. I've, I've unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, really, ultimately, I'm, I'm having to kind of put in a regimen of like a certain amount of work and a certain amount of exercise and doing other things as well. So for me to get more stamina, I found that I've just needed to kind of take a bit of a step back, do a little bit of yoga, do a little bit of exercise and kind of put that in through either every morning or every other morning or something like that to stay on top of everything. What in your work ethic do you think has contributed to the success you've had to this point? I definitely have an unreasonable ability to take on a lot of work. And I think it goes back to kind of what we were talking about in the beginning of just the sort of the yes factor, because anytime I saw that things went really well for me and and I got this sort of boom of, of people calling me gigs booked and that sort of thing was really just kind of when I was the the wheels were super greased and I was just all about just saying yes and not only saying yes but just kind of doing it and then not regretting that I said yes to the thing either and that sort of thing and just like just gliding right through a constant zero resistance of of accepting a, a, you know any a gig somebody gave me and doing it with a smile and those are the times when I actually have my greatest booms of of success and so that's a big part of it is like just saying yes honestly to everything because anytime I didn't it's funny I had a few times where I I was trying to keep this one uh, movie and in order to do that I was saying no to some other things just to keep the schedule cleared for this thing I ended up uh, not being able to do it and then I had no other things because I had said no to these other things to make room for it. And so you just also never know what your the schedule in this world and the film and TV world changes constantly. So you try and think of it as like a tour or like something very regimented as a schedule, and it never can be that. It's always changing. There's always a curveball. There's always something that that changes the schedule on it. So you think you're doing the right thing by saying no to other people to keep kind of open your schedule. But what tends to happen is if you just say yes to a lot of it, the schedules actually work out 
And you end up actually being able to do all those things without ruining the or compromising the quality of, of, the, of, a, of any one particular project. So I have to kind of mentally remind myself of that. It's very weird because I know it and I've done it. But then I sometimes think I'm going to end up with a giant roadblock of like, oh, I've said yes to too many things. And it almost never happens for me. I actually never really hit a roadblock of saying yes to too many things. And I have to learn that lesson a lot. But I guess I guess that's because it really is the truth. I think honestly, just saying yes to those things has been a big part of my success. You know, whether the gig is what you think you want at first you know, you, you usually end up at the end of it going, I'm really glad I did that. That was a really fun project. It was actually really awesome. Met some really cool people. And then it maybe even turns into that gig you really wanted or something like that, right? Because you got to be really good friends with the music supervisor or the music editor or or the director or somebody who then goes, I like Jason. I like this guy. And I want to take him on the next project. It's really, a, honestly, it's like it's like probably the biggest thing for me has just been saying yes to it. And that's been like a big part of it is like say yes, but then at the back of that you have to back it up with like a lot of a lot of work and sometimes sleepless work for like a long time. Right. So I did that from the end of January through the beginning of June. I worked seven days a week, uh 16 hours a day with almost no days off. I think I had two or three days off. That was something that I know a lot of people probably wouldn't allow themselves to do, but I run my own company. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hired by somebody per se for other than to do a small project that's limited in its time. So I have to keep myself busy continually on all these projects and jumping from one to the next. So I have to accept those things because I know that I need to keep my studio busy and I need to keep myself busy. So I definitely will go to extremes to keep myself working continually. And not everybody wants to do that. But I think if you want to have a certain level of success, you have to be willing to do that. Certainly for periods of time, you have to be willing to just take the fire and, and go with it while it's there. Because that fire doesn't always stay there. And so don't worry about it. You know, there'll definitely be some time where you can take a break. You can, in fact, those breaks tend to be for me where I go, oh gosh, you know, nobody's calling me. No one wants to hire me. And it's like, well, just enjoy your freaking break. Yeah. Like it's all good. But if you say yes, while you're getting called, you won't regret it when you've got a little bit of time off. So to me, that's like the formula that works as a independent contractor, I guess, or whatever. I'm, you know, I'm a freelance engineer and producer. So anybody who's a freelance person really should just always say yes. Because when you're going to have your downtime and your break time, you'll probably have it a lot more easily knowing you kind of worked your ass off while you have the opportunity. Don't even worry about saying no to things. Just worry about, those times can just be when you don't get any calls for a month. Is there anything you want to plug before we go? I have a movie. I have a Marvel movie. Mor Morbius is coming out in January. It was actually supposed to come out during the pandemic, but then everything got pushed back. So that's a pretty exciting film that, that I got to work on. That's uh, starring Jared Leto. Actually, we recorded the score 
during the pandemic. We recorded it in September of last year. So that was also kind of unique and interesting because we were uh, recording, you know, full orchestra and everything like that. We were the first, we were actually the first project to record in the uh, the Sony scoring stage in Los Angeles since the pandemic had closed it down in March. And then in September, we came and recorded this film. So it's I'm really excited to finally see it come out and like have the, the validation of this project coming to the world because it's actually super epic superhero or whatever he is, if he's even a superhero, anti-hero or whatever, whatever you would call Morbius. But it's... Um, it's a really good film. I'm excited about that. Uh, there's a couple of video games. I can't, I don't think I can say what they are, but they're really exciting ones that I'm also really ha- excited to see come out. And a TV show that I did called The Nevers. It might actually already be out or coming out or whatever. But anyway, that's on HBO and that's pretty cool too. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you for coming on with me today. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening today. Please subscribe to the Artist Work Ethic Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, and please rate and review the show. Follow us on Instagram at The Artist's Work Ethic, and check out theartistsworkethic.com.